Welcome to Mavericks. I'm Joey Garcia, and in today's episode, we'll be speaking to one of the brightest minds in blockchain. He's the co-founder of Gnosis, which has built out new market mechanisms for decentralized finance. He's a visionary and a maverick. It's Martin Koppelman. This is Mavericks, brought to you by Zappa Bank. Well, Martin, good morning. It's uh, great to have you here today. Um, Martin, I thought, you know, we can just have start having a, a chat or a discussion. And it would be really great to know, like, a bit of your background, sort of starting off. You, know, you we worked years ago together. Right. Um, you know, how did the whole thing start? What, what was your baby step into the universe mm -hmm. of... Ethereum and everything around that, or, or, or Gnosis. What, what what were the steps that got you to that that point? Yeah, yeah. It certainly started uh, many 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 years ago with with Bitcoin because that was uh, essentially the only thing that was uh, around back then. And yeah, I got. I don't exactly even remember the story how I first heard about it, but certainly then I got fascinated about it, both uh, from two perspectives. One purely from a technical perspective. I'm a computer scientist, so from that perspective, it's super interesting Bitcoin. But of course, also from a broader perspective uh, and, and a little bit raising the question, what is money? How does money work? Um, how do we as a society decide what money uh, are we using? Are we deciding this actively at all? Is there a <laughs> debate about um, that? Uh, and all those questions were raised uh, by Bitcoin. And that's how I yeah, got interested. And then, and then Martin, I mean, around the Bitcoin point, I think you started with Fele, exactly, um, which is yeah. a, a form of prediction market. Was that the basic starting point pre-Gnosis? Exactly. So that was a yeah, small s s s uh, project we did uh, on the side uh, while, while being at university. I did already with Stefan, my co-founder yeah. from Gnosis. Um, but then, yeah, things got more serious uh, and we met um, yeah, Joe Lubin and Consensus um, at the time where Ethereum just had done their yeah, kind of fundraise token sale um, and Joe was forming Consensus to build lots of applications around Ethereum and we then decided to join Consensus and start building Gnosis. Um, which was initially a very similar concept to Fairlay, but say, well, let's now do it on Ethereum with the much more powerful tools Ethereum offers. Um, and, back, but, and back then, Martin, the back then mm -hmm. consensus was, um, I mean, a relatively small office, right? Down in yeah, Brooklyn yeah, yeah. or something. It was a very startup sort of absolutely, point, right? Absolutely, sure. So at the beginning, it was yeah, really more or less a loose collection of people uh, Essentially, people would go to meetups and talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Joe would try to bring them all into consensus and say, yeah, just uh, continue to work on what you're working and we are forming this this group. So it was, yeah, quite a, a, a super interesting and, uh, and Gnosis, space and place. And Gnosis were, if I'm, I remember, I mean, I think one of the first projects, right, that were mm -hmm. launched out of, out of that consensus hub yeah. at the time. Is that right? Yeah. So... Gnosis was one of the yeah projects that then um, also a few years later. So I mean, actually more than two years we were within or part of consensus. But then in early 2017, uh, we made the decision to, that Gnosis should be its own um, project entity. Um, yeah. Yeah, and 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 
I mean, notice at the time, if you talk about a prediction, I'm just curious, like mm -hmm. when, when you talk about the efficiency of a prediction market, or well, how do you mm -hmm. think about the use of the technology yeah. in creating a more efficient, you know, prediction yeah. market? Yeah. I mean, certainly my, my thinking around prediction markets have, has changed uh, over the years. So, so back then I thought they would, uh, <laughs> would, would change uh, change the world and and kind of make make information or kind of every information more yeah easy to yeah, to predict or to to digest. I think there are all kind of uh, problems with prediction market. That's my thinking now, but but certainly the promise was that the technology, um, the openness uh, would allow yeah kind of to not only have one one project or one company building one thing but have full ecosystems where the core the core elements are well as we call it so often decentralized but not owned by specific entity or party so that makes it much more easy for yeah ecosystems uh, to emerge that was the hope and uh, and still is <laughs> yeah and, and and there i mean if you talk about gnosis then or let's say prediction market concept now i mean you go onto the gnosis website and and mm -hmm. you talk about securely creating trading and mm -hmm. holding digital mm -hmm. assets and mm -hmm. that's a massive universe now right so <laughs> yeah so how how did that journey start or yeah. end or how did how did you get to where you guys are today yeah i mean we were certainly uh way too uh optimistic of how fast you could build things so we wanted to build gnosis this prediction market but uh, at the time uh, very very basic tools that we now consider very basic simply didn't exist so there was no MetaMask didn't exist, kind of what would now, what's now more or less a standard wallet. Even very simple standards like this ERC token standard did not exist when we started uh, within consensus. Later, uh, it did exist. So, long story short, um, over the years, we uh, we simply decided, okay, if we wanted to build this, but all the pieces below were missing. So then we started. Uh, to build those pieces below. So over the years, Gnosis has built the most notable um, things are the safe, uh, initially Gnosis safe, now it's kind of just the safe. Um, this, yeah, multi-sig wallet or, or more abstract uh, wallets where you can define more complex rules. So it's not like you have just one key and then you own it, or mm -hmm. so yes or no, but instead you can, you can have rules, you can have many owners and you can say, two out of those four, or you can have time delays, yeah. or you can, yeah, it's, you make it programmable. Uh, and and, and in, that, in that context, Martin, when you talk about um, a safe or I'm an average user mm -hmm. and I want to use some safe wallet. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, we talk a lot about a trust-based system. I'm putting mm -hmm. a lot of faith in the platform mm -hmm. that's developing that, mm -hmm. that safe or form of security. How, how do you distinguish or how does a user dis distinguish the Gnosis safe from another platform what what are the distinguishing mm -hmm. factors are there any that sort of jump out or yeah i mean very practically it is uh when it comes to smart contract wallets or kind of those programmable wallets it is um the most used one mm. and with 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 many billions uh um holding it of course kind of I would argue, yeah, you can can read source codes and you can see the audits. Practically, of course, that's not really what's happening. What's happening is that a lot of people agree that it's safe and secure, and therefore by consensus, uh, yeah, essentially, essentially, yeah. 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 So and then, so take us beyond the Gnosis safe. Or what are the other? I mean, there's one. There's one piece just because you were talking about general kind of 
-hmm. good. And I know you've pushed a, a lot the sort of UBI concept mm -hmm. um, or the, the circles UBI, mm -hmm. um, but this concept of universal basic income, mm -hmm. um, that that's historical. I mean, I mean, the long, long way back, Thomas More, I think 16th yeah. century kind of yeah. utopia points, et cetera. Um, but as a concept then, actually, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about the, the UBI concept, For sure. just generally, very, very general. For sure. No, I think it ties back to my initial comment on, on Bitcoin and kind exactly. of the discussion of uh, how does money work. Um, and Bitcoin showed kind of, yeah, well, there could be a different way of how uh, money works. And we can have a debate, debate whether Bitcoin is it all money or not, but yeah. let's put that aside. But like if you say, okay, we we are able to experiment with new forms, you could say, well, why not create something like Bitcoin? But instead of saying kind of there are one, uh, 21 million um, tokens that are distributed to miners, let's say we say the tokens are distributed on a per person uh, basis. So kind of in circles, uh, yeah, tokens or coins come into uh, well into the world uh, on a basis like everyone gets one token per hour. So one circle represents one yeah, in a way, human hour. And yeah, that that is, that's in a way just one way to say, okay, we want to have a digital asset, but we want to have a fair way to initially um, distribute it. But then of course, it's also a way to achieve something yeah, like uh, UBI or universal basic income. And and then, but then I mean, in the in the classics of UBI or nation mm -hmm. state UBI concept, mm -hmm. like the, U, the USA adopts a, mm -hmm. a, a similar system. Right. They, they always talk, or they do talk about I mean, the downside being, I suppose, the cost. Mm -hmm. So if suddenly you have mm -hmm. X billion people mm -hmm. being allocated, you know, mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is, thousand yep. dollars a month or whatever it is, you know, that cost or that output needs to be reduced on some other form of social contribution, or rather in the circles network i mean how do you attribute a value to that 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 unit of hour That's yeah it. yeah in a way um that that is up to uh up to the people who want to use use circles um so in circles it actually goes all the way down to everyone issues their own kind of right. specific form of circles and then you form um trust networks right. where i say i accept yours you accept mine and then the question is, why would you accept mine? Well, ideally, because I offer something for it. So if I, for example, say um, I'm willing to work for, for my own circles, for my own money, well, that would might be a reason for you to accept it because you might say, well, I might need this work at some point or someone else might need this. What are the biggest restricting factors to larger groups? Well, maybe there are groups. Mm -hmm. or, there are lots of groups that have adopted. I know that. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are the restrictive factors to larger groups, yeah, or I mean, platforms, or industries, I mean, or I mean, so Circles launched uh, roughly um, two years ago, and fairly quickly, uh, over a hundred thousand people signed up. But then, yeah, to be honest, the technology was not uh, ready back then. Uh, I think it is; uh, it's getting better and better um, by the day. But yeah, so back then we were still. Uh, hold back by um, scaling issues, stability issues. Um, so in the end, stuff uh, kind of on a very pure smart contract level and on the pure blockchain level, things are super reliable and, and um, blockchains are ultra reliable. But to actually make it usable, there are a few steps in between and those pieces are still And do, do the weak. circles interoperate with each other? If there are all sorts of, let's say, mini economies, mm -hmm. um, can they interoperate practically? Does that work? Those units of account, are they? 
Yeah, absolutely. So that is the core idea of, of circles that you form this um, this web of trust. So trusting each other means uh, you are in a way willing to exchange your circles one to one. Um, and that, of course, works transitively. So, uh, so as long as uh, between the person you want to interact with and yourself, there is a, a path of trust, um, you can interact. And the second thing we are introducing to circles right now are yeah what we call group currencies so you could call them um yeah regional currencies we're starting with a kind of berlin circle or berlin coin um where yeah kind of vendors or some participants might decide okay we we are using um or we, we are defining a specific set of individual circles that form form this group and are there other i mean are, i mean can people take advantage of this is i mean how do you protect against the concept of me being part of that circle but not really doing anything just trying to yeah sort of, I mean, that's no, got to sure. be a classic yeah for sure i mean that uh, that is in a way this individual negotiation between uh, people trusting each other so um you to kind of to, to become part of it you would need to find people um that trust you um and of course, they could then say, and, and those are the things we are we are figuring out. Uh, to what extent is then a demand or an expectation from you to at some point, uh, yeah, in a way contribute back or offer offer things for circles as well. In the beginning, it's maybe totally fine. You kind of start spend, but but if you then yeah, always only spend, um, there might be the expectation. Okay, now now it's time to also uh, accept. Uh, and and how far, um, Martin? Do you think is I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, will there be a point? Do you think? I mean, I'm asking conceptually that mm -hmm. a, a huge country will adopt this as a standard. <laughs> or, yeah, um, or some way from that's, them. Right? That's that's hard. Uh, yeah, hard hard to say. But um, yeah, we we have uh, we are working with a network of, of, of mayors at least where they could uh, or where we are exploring things like at least locally you could use it for public transport or you have kind of some resources um, a city uh, a city has uh, whether we come to the country level yeah, we'll see. yeah. but it's it, it is interesting right because um, these sort of private initiatives mm -hmm. uh, or internal autonomous networks uh, that are created a lot of the time they be they become like almost sandboxes to see operating mm -hmm. versions of something on a small scale that can be adopted we you know stable coins we've seen it on lots of different levels lots right. of people start talking about stable coins before they start talking about cbdc's before they start talking about everything else exactly. so it's a sort of first step in that direction right um okay and i mean that's i mean we could talk a long time about ubis i think but um you mentioned the the pieces of the Gnosis platform, let's say, mm -hmm. and probably the biggest has got to be the Gnosis chain, would you say, is that right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, tell us a little bit mm -hmm. about the Gnosis chain or Gnosis chain Ethereum side by side, or you being, you, know, yeah. you are one of the Ethereum, you know, <laughs> guys, um, yeah. how, how you've got to that Ethereum chain sort of position. Right, right. So, um, yeah, so again, over the years we, uh, we did various different projects, but now our focus is the Gnosis chain. And that started roughly two years ago um, when we, well, had been building uh, applications on Ethereum, but it just became clear on Ethereum itself, uh, it will be way too expensive um, or it, it was way too expensive. So a single transaction 
would yeah. would cost twenty dollars. And for example, for a project like Circles, which is meant to be kind of you are meant to pay your coffee or kind of make a two dollar purchase uh, with it. Of course, it doesn't yeah, work if yeah, you yeah, have yeah, a transaction yeah. fee of twenty dollars. So the same happened with the NFTs, right? So the low value NFTs, for sure, for sure. transactions, for sure. exchanges, twenty dollars on fifty dollar value transactions. Yeah. So basically, back then we were well looking for alternatives, and that was, uh, and there was one chain, um, yeah, called called XDAI, um, that was exactly uh, doing that. It was like Ethereum, but uh, it was uh, of it was much cheaper <laughs> to use. And back then they used a simpler consensus algorithm called called proof of authority, where yeah, essentially you have a number of, of trusted people that kind of produce. Um, the blocks and yeah, again, that was our immediate solution to say, okay, for for those transactions that cannot afford, uh, in a way, the high security and the, and therefore also the high yeah. costs of Ethereum, uh, we will use this as well and started to do all our applications, kind of the save, uh, um, swap, well, and and circuits actually, um, on 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 this chain as well, um, um and. Yeah, over the years, we then decided, okay, we um, want to double down on this chain and want to uh, develop it further and actually have a full uh, roadmap for for decentralization because that was one of the biggest weaknesses of that chain that exactly. it, it was as Ethereum, but much more centralized. Um, and so we... A year ago, we made a large and also pretty, yeah, probably novel, novel thing. Kind of did a token merger with that project. So in a way, we reached out to our community, to to the community of of, of that um, chain, uh, and said, okay, should we maybe merge uh, the two projects? And in the end, that's what we did. So anyone of the kind of what was called the stake token they could redeem their tokens for um specific amount of gno and since then this chain is um, the gnosis chain and yeah we are pushing very hard to uh make it the chain as decentralized as ethereum one of our core concepts is that uh, really anyone should become um, a validator and therefore also a block producer on this chain. So for every chain, one key question you can ask is who is actually allowed or who is actually able to produce a new block to kind of add new transactions um, to the chain. And I would say currently Gnosis Chain is the chain where the barrier to do that is the lowest of all chains. So. Uh, in, the, in our case, you just need one single GNO, which is currently $120, something like that. Uh, that's enough uh, to become a validator. Then you are one out of 100,000 validators. So on average, mm, roughly every three weeks, you will get the right to produce uh, uh, one block. 100,000 is a lot of validators. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I think Ethereum we were talking before is about 400K. Yeah. But the next below Gnosis chain is like, Four thousand or three thousand yeah, or yeah, something. Probably so, even less, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and and let me let me ask you another question around around that. To what extent, like we talk about transaction costs on Ethereum, et cetera, is a com but would you say there's a bit of a I'm not gonna call it a protocol war, but there are lots of different mm -hmm. protocols developing in different ways. Yeah. Um I think some people say like in pursuing like faster, cheaper yeah. um transaction networks. Yeah. Uh, 
a lot of the time they give up yeah. decentralization to an yeah. extent. They move to sort of more. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I mean, that's it's fair. So at the end, you um, you have um, yeah, kind of those three things. So you have uh, security, um, decentralization, and scalability. And yeah, it's really, really hard to uh, to have all three. So usually you have uh, to give up one. And I would say many of the of the side chains have uh, given up on on the decentralization, uh, at least to some extent. Um, and we at least uh, we we said okay, there are enough other EVM chains uh, that that compromise on decentralization. We want to be another uh, uh, EVM chain besides Ethereum that does not compromise right, on exactly. decentralization. So that's kind of the first thing we okay. we want to make sure that that people are at home able to run a validator and kind of that's our hard requirement. And then, of course, we still want to push on the other two things uh, as as far as we can, but without compromising decentralization. So, of course, that can mean that at the end, um, we are our transactions fees will also go go up. And in a way, that would be to some extent also a good thing because it means well, there is. Mm. I mean, Ethereum is also, of course, a huge success uh, yeah. Yeah. in in people being willing to pay. Uh, so much for for transactions. So in a way, you can say we are just trying to produce more of Ethereum. Um, mm. yeah. And what what? So uh, let me let's create our own prediction market. You're, you're mm. the 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 protocol. I mean, where do you think in ten years' time, from a blockchain universe mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. broad as you can imagine the term? Yeah. Um. You know, what will be the protocol of the future? What 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 will distinguish yeah. one from another? Where will things yeah. go? Um, yeah, just your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, we kind of um, we kind of expect that that actually security uh, and scalability um, will be yeah will be solved essentially. Be, it will still take take time, but but the the, the progress of yeah, specifically zero knowledge uh, technology technology where. Um, where it's able for just someone to do very hard and uh, expensive computation, but then that computation does not need to, or anyone else can just verify that this computation was done in a very, very cheap way. That's really um, a game changer for, um, yeah, kind of for, 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 for those challenges. So what we believe, um, the distinct, uh, this, yeah, the, the factor that distinguishes uh, different chains will actually be the decentralization, uh, and that's yeah. actually the hard thing to exactly. to, to to build uh, yeah. to build a system that is decentralized. So that's why that's kind of our main focus to say we uh, there are all kind of, of 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 factors that as soon as you start a chain, um, often yeah things get more efficient if they are uh, if if they are decentralized. So there is a natural tendency towards centralization so again that's why we we think that's and, and, le and let me tell you i mean this is a really natural sort of follow-on question and it's a mm -hmm. super difficult one because um i think that's absolutely right but mm -hmm. um you know the definition of decentralization doesn't really um exist so yeah. there are so many different ways that people can think and talk about i think yeah. i mentioned you before yeah you know legally you have a direction yeah, yeah. of travel which is this new wording around yeah. you know, control or influence, et cetera. Um, yeah. Some people, I mean, they all have different, slightly different, but how do you think that you can get to yeah, your yeah. defined decentralization goal? Yeah, I, I think you <laughs> just need to 
uh, honestly look at the system. So if, if you if you define just one metric, then it's probably easy to optimize for this metric and have other parts of the system that are totally not uh, decentralized. So it's very hard to define decentralization in just one number. Um, also, kind of that's why I would say proud that we have so many validators, but that of course not 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 the full uh, truth. So currently, I wouldn't necessarily. Or, I mean, there are other parts that are less decentralized in those chain, but yeah, we we are we are uh, we want to be honest and clear about it and kind of just tackle uh, tackle all the aspects. So it's it's the number of validators is one, but of course, if if they if a single entity controls a lot of validators, then that, that doesn't really help. So it's kind of what entities control it. How are they geographically distributed? What's how's the knowledge spread about the technology? If there's essentially just one team, or yeah. even within the team, three guys that really understand how how something works, of course that that is a, a big. Um, how, how do the bridges work? How is is mo are most of the assets on on a single exchange? Um, yeah, are there specific oracles that have uh, a lot of power? So, what do you uh, mean by an oracle? I know that mm -hmm. you'll be able to give a lot of detail, but talk about oracles very generally in that, in, in that context. Yeah, um, there are um, there are uh, um, yeah. Generally, blockchains have the need to get real world information, um, and if if all the important oracles, so that's usually a price feed, for example, if they are, uh, if they always come just from one source, then of course that's that is against the idea of decentralization because this one entity or one source uh, could have significant or has then significant uh, influence about the chain. Do you, is it does it ultimately come down to always to that sort of central point of authority, central point of failure, mm. central point of control i mean that i suppose that's what can't exist if you want to create an argument around decentralization would you agree with that or yes so i mean i mean of course the uh the the situation around um tornado has um yeah revealed in a way those 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 sources um so of course if there is any single entity that can do one action and then part, uh, the system starts to well i well in the worst case stop but or at least stops a specific uh functionality of of some entity then of course that violates the idea of, of decentralization talk, talk i mean you mentioned tornado mm -hmm. uh and i'm I, i'd love to hear you sort of mm -hmm. set the scene for tornado cash and the ofac related issues that appeared i mean that's a super interesting yeah. there's lots of lines that yeah. we can talk about there but i'd love to hear your perspective of of, yeah. of what happened yeah. Generally, yeah, I think there are at least um, two 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 layers uh, to it. So one is the pure, uh, yeah, probably also uh, fight or negotiation between what level of um, of, of privacy um, is acceptable yeah. and and is also necessary, um, and kind of that that is to some extent, uh, um, yeah, something that. Policy policy makers and the public have to kind of uh, figure out. And what happened here is that Tornado Cash um, was one of the first uh, protocols that made it very easy and very practical, well, relatively easy <laughs> to uh, to use, um, yeah, kind of a privacy technology. So so 
the default behavior is on Ethereum, uh, if you have an account, you transfer it to, to another account um, that's immediately um, yeah, kind of linkable. So it's, it's very easy. And for example, I have my account, couplemon.es, where, where I have my kind of just name and ES yeah. name. So everyone knows that account is, is yeah. uh, from myself. And I, if I would use, if I would use, or sooner or later, I will transact with all the other accounts I have. Um, and I, if I yeah, regularly uh, transact in between, it's very easy to say, okay, kind of all those, those accounts um, um, that, that are mine. And, um, and of course, uh, that is probably not something we want. So kind of everyone can ask themselves, would they want all their bank accounts? Uh, and actually not even kind of how much money they have, but actually every individual transaction yeah being um, yeah, publicly uh, exposed. Um, and Tornado Cash was one of the first projects within Ethereum. So kind of Zcash, they, they have been kind of the original um, yeah, creators of the concept behind that. But, but Zcash was its own, um, yeah, its own world or its own universe. And I think it's fair to say that much more transactions and much more activity just happened on Ethereum. And on Ethereum, this this privacy technology was not really available until uh, Tornado comes. And yeah, in Tornado, it was possible to yeah essentially essentially transfer from one account you hold to another account you hold without making this uh, this this link um, yeah. public. And again, I, I I'd say that was a that was and is a very very important um, piece towards yeah. Uh, towards bringing, uh, making it actually uh, feasible to, we were talking about kind of stuff like circles and, and, and the idea that you do day-to-day -day transactions on the blockchain. And I would say that's not, blockchain's not ready for that yet because this, this privacy uh, mm. part is missing. So Tornado was kind of um, first step in this direction. Of course, unfortunately, what happened was that Tornado was still not, uh, not very very easy to use so people wouldn't use it by default in their day-to-day -day transactions so probably the two user groups were one kind of somewhat advanced developers that, that were conscious of that and kind of uh and and kind of the yeah the early adopters but then of course part of the truth is that uh that indeed hackers uh mm. and those who have stolen money in various yeah. forms of of um do you see I mean, we see authorities reacting in lots of different ways all over the world mm -hmm. in very, very different ways. And we're not going to go into all of that. But um, I mean, to what extent do you see, you know, taking advantage of the technology? So zero knowledge based mm -hmm. compliance infrastructure. Do you see that as like something that's going to develop or something that's going to happen? So, you know, can you deal with the concerns of a regulatory authority or enforcement agency with new technical ways embedded compliance concepts or anything like that or is that just too far no, down the line no for sure i mean that that is that is very very possible and i would say uh, in many cases or in many cases it's also very desirable to to uh, yeah to prove a specific fact about yourself without um yeah without yeah, without right privacy uh, within the right, right sort of privacy framework right i mean j just like in the last years uh of um uh, of, of the whole corona crisis i'm i'm not sure kind of i probably to 
thousands of entities i gave out my my phone number my address yeah. my yeah. my my name um yeah and, and, and there would be uh, in, in in principle there would be there would be technology out there that that kind of where you can have the same level of i know someone can reach me or or, or whatever the goal of that is you can reach this goal without leaking your information all over the place mm. but that that yeah i mean look that's um it's uh let, let's see I, i i personally i think that um that the risks are there um it can be addressed in the right way taking advantage of the technology in the right way or it can be completely ignored and if it's completely ignored i for me i think it's a question of time before agencies start to you know redefine the concept of a vast or just try to literally bring the entire blockchain universe within the scope of the definition of a vast which isn't really in anyone's interest i'm a big proponent for trying to evolve the application of use of technology in, in new ways but let, let's see how that happens i wanted to follow up on something else and take advantage of you of, of you being here and, and your time you know um because you've we've talked a little bit about decentralization about mm -hmm. the gnosis chain etc um, we haven't talked about um cow swap mm -hmm. and i'm really interested in that almost in the context of uh, a dex mm -hmm. uh, you know you can talk a little bit about what a dex is to, mm -hmm. to start mm -hmm. i think that makes sense um and you know whether that i mean that probably is the primary use of decentralized finance or de decentralized finance ecosystems yeah and i'd love to hear your view on firstly the defi space yeah. um and mostly in the context of like cow swap or dex mm -hmm. dex and we can talk a little bit about a few issues after that but yeah i'd love to hear from you yeah on that stuff yeah so cow swap is a project that also yeah started with Gnosis initially as Gnosis protocol but but then became its own or is now its 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 own uh, protocol and it it yeah really looked uh, tightly at at all the all the different interactions that are are happening uh, if you trade um on a on a decentralized exchange so first a little bit the um the probably the history of of, of dexes i think the the breakthrough that made them really popular was this concept of automated market makers so and the concept that users that the, as a user you could kind of just uh, put two two tokens into yeah into some automated market maker um, and essentially you would provide those those tokens as liquidity for others to trade and then um, and then others Uh, yeah, could essentially just send one token to this contract uh, and and get got the other out, and I think this this concept um, was was yeah extremely important for this um, yeah explosion of of tokens and assets, and I mean that is to some extent what we what we expect that the range of um, of things that will be yeah tokenized will. Uh, yeah, will be much larger, and and the kind of the the hurdle to do so to uh, to um, tokenize something will become much much lower than yeah, let's say previously making a public uh, a, a, a company public and yeah. bringing it to the uh, to the stock exchange, and just this idea that we now have much much more assets will probably also require different market mechanisms because you cannot necessarily have for each of those assets a sophisticated i don't know kind of many sophisticated uh traders and real-time quotes and all those things because if the asset is is much 
smaller and kind of just a handful of, of people traded. Um, yeah, kind of those those contracts evolved, those automated market makers and Uniswap is the most uh, yeah. prominent yeah. Uh, prominent one here. And now um, those contracts exist um, that facilitate the simple rules, kind of you send one token to it and you get specific quantity um, um, back. And um, yeah, kind of going forward, users were using that and trading billions, billions of dollars against those, uh, those contracts. But it turns out that there are a um, handful of, of um, specific interactions where a single user is not necessarily equipped in the best way to get a good price um, yep. out of that. So they, they send their uh, transactions. And at the moment they send their transaction, this transaction is public. So anyone in the world can see this transaction is going to happen, but it has not happened yet. Yeah. So this, um, yeah, it's just a few seconds, but that's in, in, in terms of trading, that's ages. <laughs> uh, in this seconds where this transaction is public, it's easy for, for someone else to insert. So I want to buy a specific token. Uh, someone else inserts the transaction and buys it first. And then I need to buy it at a higher price. And then kind of this, um, probably the same person can immediately uh, then after I bought it at the higher price, sell it yeah. uh, and, and make some, some arbitrage. Margin, yeah. uh, right. And uh, that also ties back to the question of decentralization, who is actually able to do it and who is actually able to do that in the most efficient way. And those are actually the, um, the block producers. So that was previously the miners in proof of work and now it's the validators uh, in proof of stake because they ultimately decide um, what the order of the transactions uh, is. Most people aren't really aware of that as well, right? I mean, that's, yeah, that's fair to say. Hundred percent. So, yeah. so, but it is a, a simple reality. If if you kind of just submit your your trade um, on a quote unquote regular dex, there is a good chance that exactly that will happen, and. Of course, the outcome is for you as user is also not horrible. You will probably lose um, 20 basis points or 0.2% of, of, or maybe even less, but, but it, it, it's real. It's it is important. I think it's important for people to understand that because right. conceptually it's a sort of pure peer-to-peer -peer disintermediated fair system, but it is subject to right. you know, these MEV-related sort of concepts. Right, right. so in, in that case it is, I mean, at, at the end it's still, uh, you are interacting with the smart contract, but you are in a way doing it through the validator because yeah, the validator exactly. at the end bundles your transaction. So in a way, you can make a point that this validator to some extent uh, has some intermediary power here. Um, so that's where where um, yeah, CowSwap uh, comes in. And what, what we do in, in, in CowSwap is that you as a user you don't send this uh, your transaction to the miners, the validator that will not act in your best interest, or at least not. Or many have decided to. And I think that's also somewhat an open debate whether should that be allowed. Yeah, of course. I mean, is this, is yeah, this yeah, legal? Yeah. And even if it's legal, is it ethical? Um, anyhow, uh, that that aside, the reality is many many say it's okay, or or, or whatever, uh, act as if it would be okay to to extract this value. 
so in contrast on CowSwap, you are as a user, you are um, you are not sending your transaction to the to the to the miner. You are kind of doing a, what we call a meta transaction. So you're just describing what you what you want to do in a way, what what you want to trade, without the exact kind of saying I want to interact with that smart contract. And then um, we have um, yeah what we call a solver competition. So we have different entities that can now compete to settle uh, to settle those those trades. So we actually even batch uh, a handful of trades. So, so kind of different traders put their their, their trades in, and um, and and we decide kind of who's allowed to 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 settle them uh, by a competition where the goal of the competition is what we to call. Uh, what we call maximize trader welfare. So essentially, now kind of fourteen solvers can submit their their numbers and say, kind of, I can settle it in in a way. I can use this contract, or I can can combine those trades, or you know, there are all kind of optimizations they can do and say, in the end, uh, that that's the price um, the user will get. And again, then the one will be selected that offers the highest price uh, to the user. And in CowSwap, then it's their risk. So we um, this this whole question of they still at the end need to put this transaction on the blockchain. So in the way they will they will have the, the same challenge. Um, but in in this model, we put the risk on them. So kind of if if they at the end would get sandwiched, they they need to pay it. Um, and of course, what happens in practice is that there are some validators that 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 kind of give extra channels where you can kind of send them this transaction with the explicit promise if you send it via this channel okay. it will not uh, it will not be seen by anyone until it's on the blockchain so if you are a professional there are ways to yeah. to mitigate that and kind of that's the whole story of cowswap so as a user you don't give your transaction to the public mempool where people will act against your interest you give it to the solvers with this competition to give you the best price and it's their job to... So you've identified that. that issue and you sort of dealt with it within the infrastructure yeah. that you've built. Do, do you think, um, and talking like super generally, I suppose as well as this, yeah. the average user on the street or, you know, where, where like the future is all on the Gnosis chain, let's just say. <laughs> um, what, 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 are the, what do you think are the kind of two things? What, what are the sort of most real world applications that you see being yeah. built or the biggest purpose uh, that you could could serve and then secondly how far away are we from the average users access to these networks even something yeah. like CowSwap for, for the average yeah, guy yeah. on the street it's difficult how, how far away are we from that so define sort of purposes yeah. of your you know where you want to get to and and how you're going to get there I, I would I would certainly certainly say uh, we want to see uh, much more um, yeah, real-world uh, use cases. So, kind of, uh, I would broadly define that as, yeah, simply things uh, people do uh, very regularly, daily, um, and also specifically things that are not uh, where, where it's not part of the core concept that uh, that, that there's some speculative uh, element of it. I mean, I'm I, I'm not against. Uh, Whatever speculative uh, things, but 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 it's clear everything that relies on I don't know some prices go up and so on that that's that can at, at max that can be maybe some some yeah, very early use cases that 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 open up a field, but it's never going to be a 
kind of sustainable and, and really long-term value producing uh, use case. So in my view, I absolutely want to see, um, yeah, the, the, the still the, the most simple thing that still does not really happen on scale on blockchains is, is payment. So, I mean, we yeah. have talked about it. Or I think like even, even in the early Bitcoin days, kind of that was meant to be uh, cr cross-border payment and so on, that, that was meant to be a use case for Bitcoin at scale. It, it, it never, never really happened. Uh, and yeah, I don't know exactly when it will happen, but I, I, well, I, I do hope and I do think the, the signs are much, much clearer that, that this will eventually Lightning uh, happen. and everything else, let's see. Yeah, I mean, I I would uh, I would bet uh, actually in this case more on uh, on 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 stable coins, um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, there is there's one one project um, we are working on that quite uh, seamlessly tries to combine uh, credit card payments and um, and and crypto payments. So it turns out it's actually possible. To authorize um, to authorize actually a crypto or yeah kind of crypto or Ethereum transaction with a credit card. So actually, it's possible uh, yeah on this chip to do the required computation and even broadcast this uh, transaction via uh, in in this case the Visa network. Um, and those those um, yeah I, I would call it bridging technology. Mm. Uh, but that might very well be required to come to mass adoption. So if you, for example, look back at um, Skype, uh, then nowadays people just just use Skype. I, I mean, kind of nowadays the communication, or, or probably they use now Zoom or whatever, but, but kind of the communication now happens uh, purely within the internet. Uh, most, most voice calls are just purely internet to internet. But I think a very important Factor to go there was at the beginning that it was possible uh, if you were already on Skype, but the other person would still use landline. Then there was this period where it was possible to call from Skype uh, to a landline, and I think that 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 bridging technology. So eventually, then both people have Skype, and then it can com completely uh, work yeah. over the internet. And eventually, both people have, will have crypto, and it will completely work over crypto. But how how far away? And that that's the sort of question. And Skype, everyone can. It's pretty easy. Or do a WhatsApp call or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. don't, people don't really even think about the underlying uh, technology. It's just a simple to use application interaction. No, the for crypto sure. universe. You know, sure. especially the Dex related universe, or you know, ledger interaction with your MetaMask and say It's not there for the the guy off the street, right? No, for sure. And I mean, I, I would say it's the same way as. If you do a call now, you of course also don't really uh, think about whether you are now using uh, well the landline or or even like if you use your mobile, then then most of the time it will actually not go through the mobile network, but it will or it will actually use still the internet as a, as an underlying protocol. But you don't really care and kind of it's fairly abstracted away. And in the same way, uh, it will it will and should be. With, with with blockchain so at some point you will do your your payment and you will potentially still use your card but it will completely go through uh the underlying pipes will just be different ones mm. uh, and and but you don't don't really care and you don't uh, have to care too much about it well Marcia, i think you guys are doing an amazing uh job and like yeah like you said it needs people and platforms pushing boundaries everyone does that in slightly different ways well zappo where we're sitting today is doing it in its in its own way 
pushing boundaries between the financial services and banking world and the VASP and crypto BTC uh, universe. So I think it, it's important and I, I'm, I'm super glad to talk to you as part of that ecosystem. Um, it's been awesome speaking to you. I'm sure we could talk for a long time, but uh, I think we'll, we'll draw things to a close if that makes sense. But uh, thank yeah. you very much for coming in. Thanks for watching Mavericks, brought to you by Zappa Bank. Please like and subscribe for more episodes.